Thanks for listening to the Journey Podcast. We're glad you're here. Journey exists to engage people in the process of knowing Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast engages you and encourages you to become more like Him. Hey, good morning, church. How are we doing today? Are we good? Good. Isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord together, to be all together as one church? And if you're joining us online, we are so thankful that we get to join with you, that maybe we are meeting with you in your office or your home or your kitchen or in the car or on the beach as you're spending your Labor Day weekend on vacation, wherever it is. We're so glad that we get to come together as a church. And why don't we give a warm welcome to Sherwood. They're joining us today. They joined us for worship and now for this message. And it's so cool that we get to be one church in two locations and that we get to share the gospel that God gets to use journey in a great way throughout our city. And so we're so thankful for the opportunity today. But today we're starting a new series. We're going to look at what God's vision is for family. And what, what does God long for our relationships to look like with one another? And whether we are single or we're married, God has a vision for us and he has a dream for us. He longs for us to be in healthy, vibrant relationships with others. And this series is called At the Table because we believe that the table can be the center of our relationships, that we need to return back to the table where things all began so we can build healthy relationships with other people. Because we believe that the table If used properly and regularly, the table can be one of the greatest tools for evangelism and discipleship and reconciliation and relationship building. We believe that the table can help us build vibrant relationships in our families, in our friends, and in our communities. And we believe that the the, the table should be the center of all things. And it may seem like a simple principle, to say that a table is important to us because we probably all have tables in our homes. Many of us probably have multiple tables. We have one in our dining room and one in our kitchen. We sit at a table every day for breakfast or lunch or dinner. But in our culture, we've lost the art of actually gathering around a table, looking eye to eye with somebody, sharing our lives with them, sharing our, our hearts with them. In our culture, meals are made to be fast and efficient. Everything is marketed as being able to be done in less than 30 minutes. We have drive-thrus on every corner. Most meals are eaten in a car. They're eaten in front of a TV, or if they're eaten at a table, most of the family isn't there, and most of the other family has their phone in their hands. And we need to get back to being present with one another. Getting, we need to get back to the table, because the table enables us to be present with one another. It reminds us to come together, to slow down. When I think of the importance of of somebody's presence in my life, I think about my mom and how every morning before school, when I woke up through um, elementary, middle, and high school, as my sisters and I were getting ready for school, my mom was always present in the kitchen. No matter what she had to do that day, no matter if she was leaving for work five minutes after we left the door, to go to school, she always was present in the kitchen. And it wasn't the elaborate meals of the toast and the cereal that she made for us that I remember the most. It was her willingness, her readiness, her presence in our lives that for 15 minutes, she sat there and she would fly through some flashcards with us if we needed to study last minute. She would make sure that we had a healthy lunch packed. She was there to encourage us. She was there to pray for us. Her presence mattered in my life and it's changed me. 
It's something I'll never forget about. And let me tell you, church, this world needs your presence. This world needs our presence where we can speak life into dead things through the power of Jesus Christ that is within us. This world needs our presence. And the table reminds us of that. When we sit at the table face-to-face with other people, we get to share of that hope. Husbands, your wives need your presence at the table. Come back to your marriage. Be present again. Wives, your husband needs your presence Parents, your children need your presence again. Get away from the phone. Stop looking at the emails. Become engaged again in their lives. Sons and daughters, your parents need your presence again. Get away from the phone. Come back to your family. We need to become present again in our relationships. And we believe that the table can allow us to do that. The other thing that the table can remind us of is that we are all equal. When we sit at a table, a table is built, or at least a good table, is built to be level. Each end of the table is at equal heights. Each chair around the table is at equal heights. And it's designed so that when everybody sits at the seat, everybody is the same height. Everyone is equal. Everyone seated around the table looks eye to eye with the person across the table. And when we sit down at a table, my hope, my prayer is that we are reminded every time that we sit somewhere across the, across the table from someone that we are just reminded of this gathering at the table on earth, but we are reminded of the beautiful gathering that will also take place in heaven. Every day that we take a seat at the table on earth, we should be reminded of the beautiful gathering that awaits us in heaven where everyone is equal. Because when the family of God sits down at the table, everyone is equal. Jews and Gentiles are equal. Men and women are equal. Rich and poor are equal. And the barren and, and, and parents are equal. And widowed and divorced people are equal. And black and white are equal. And rich and poor are equal. When the family of God sits down at the table, we become equal. And we need that reminder in our lives, in this culture today. Because for the most part, more than ever, we need to get back to the table because our culture defines most of us by our relationship status. It defines us by, by our job title. It, it defines us by our profile picture. It defines us by our race. It defines us by our social economic um, standard or status. And, and we got to get back to sitting across the table and reminding ourselves that we are staring into the eyes of another image bearer of our good God. We got to get back to the table and remind ourselves of that. And the last thing is this, is that the table, the reason that we're looking at the table is because the table also allows us to become more like Jesus Christ. God uses the image of a table so much throughout scripture. And Jesus used it a lot as a foundation for so many of his lessons as he poured out wisdom throughout scripture to, to teach us and to change us. One of the most profound ways that um, I believe that God used the table happens in Matthew 26. And it's with the Last Supper. And on the, on the eve before Jesus was going to be crucified, 
on the last night that he had with all of his disciples, the men that he had spent every day of his life with for the past three years, on that night, the last night that he had with them, Jesus didn't give them a profound message and he didn't recap every lesson or sermon that he had given in the last three years. On the night that Jesus had, the last meal, the last time he was gonna spend together with those men that he loved dearly, that he trusted, that he had a purpose for, that he saw a future in, that he was going to build his church upon. On that last night, Jesus had a meal with them. Just a meal, a simple meal, with some bread and some wine to remind them of the importance of coming together, of being one, of communing with one another. And so listen, church, we need to get back to the table. If you want to see God's will be done, let us start at your table. And if you want to see his kingdom come to earth, on earth as it is in heaven, let us start at your table. And if you want to see revival come, why don't you let us start at your table with your family? And if you want to see reconciliation come, why don't you begin to have those hard conversations at your table? Don't wait for somebody else to do it. Start at your table. And if you want to see your marriage become revived again, why don't you sit across from your table with your spouse and stare them in the eyes? Church, it is time that the the family of God comes back to the table. He is inviting us to take a seat at the table. You know, for Lindsay, it was her mother at the table. For me, it was my family. Because the table for me represented dreams, wild dreams, ones that the kids would share with us or that we would share with our kids. It was deep conversations about forgiveness. It was amazing moments of clarity when there was confusion all around. It's where we met future son-in-laws at the table. See, at the table for me is my safe place. We got a, a bad habit a few years ago after the kids all left the house and we became empty nesters. We started watching the TV and eating um, right there at a little table. And we realized that we were, we were missing out on some huge values in our family. So we made it a point, especially right as COVID hit, to go back to the table. And as weird as it is sometimes for just the two of us to be at a table, it's a safe place for us to have conversation. conversation. Why, why would we even do this? Because... We feel like, as Lindsay's already said, there's great value. We do a thing around here, and actually this is what this series is. It's called an all-in, and it means every person that walks on this campus, children and middle school students and high school students are all having these same conversations. And what we want to happen is today when you guys go home and you pick up your kids and maybe go to lunch or have lunch, we want you to sit at your table and have conversations. We want you to talk about God. We want you to talk about feelings. We want you to talk about about dreams and aspirations. We want you to talk about hurt. And it's interesting to me because as I've studied this whole concept of the table, it's not just a cool idea that we had. It's actually a biblical idea. As a matter of fact, 76 different times in the Bible, the table is referred. Jesus is reclining at a table when when Peter uh, comes on on the scene and and wants his feet washed. And then he said, I don't want my feet washed. There's there's other times at the table where we're going to look at next week. uh, I prepare the table in the presence of my enemies. 
Today, we're going to look at a snapshot of a, of, a, of a story that Jesus is at a table reclining. And I love the way Lindy, Lindsay said it, that we're all on the same sheet of music. We're all level at the table. And that's the story that we're going to look at today. That there's a person that seems to be an outcast that is invited to the table by Jesus to have a substantial impact in her life. If you have a Bible, I'd like for you to open Luke chapter 7. It's verse 36. And we're going to start right there. And we're going to look at this story. And it says, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with, with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the what? There it is right there at the table. Now, reclining at the table was a little different. They didn't have chairs like this. He would actually sit on the floor, which will make this story seem a little bit more understanding. But nonetheless, they were at the table. Uh, the Pharisee's name was Simon. And we've talked about Pharisees. And the Pharisees were people that on the outside looked like they had everything going on, but on the inside they were really dry bones. As a matter of fact, several different times in scripture, they were described as whitewashed tombs, meaning the outside looked good, it was clean, but the inside there was decay. And so this Pharisee is invited Jesus to come to his house, so they're reclining at the table. And verse 37 says, and behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that she was reclining, uh, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet and her tears and wipe them with her hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed with the, with the ointment. Verse 39, and when, when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if there's a man, if this man is a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him, for she is a sinner. Now, I want to slow down a little bit because a lot of times what happens is we read passive scripture and there's a lot there. There's, there's a lady that's crying. There's a lady that's washing somebody's feet with her, with her tears and there's hair being dry and there's anointment. And, and, and we can kind of breeze through that and never really understand the significance of the story. And so if you'll give me just a second, I'd like to backfill this a little bit because it's really, really important. So Jesus is reclining at these Pharisees. His name is Simon at the table. And they're getting ready to participate in a meal. Now, what would generally take place is there would be other people that were invited to this banquet that were never allowed at the table. They would literally sit in the fringe and around. So this lady was in the fringe. She was outside the, 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 the circle of friends at the table. But all of a sudden, she saw something that was, was going on. Simon, by history, should be washing Jesus' feet and should be drying the feet off and, and should be anointing his feet or his head with some type of oil. But, but this woman who is, who is classified, by the way, as a sinner, how would you like to have that classification? Like, like, and here's the interesting thing. In that culture, in that day, if you were a man and you were classified as a sinner, it simply meant you told a story, you lied. Maybe you cheated somebody. But, but if you were a female in this society, there again, I'm not agreeing with this society, I'm just saying this is the way the culture was. It was the worst of the worst label that you could possibly have. It meant that you had a relationship outside your marriage relationship. It means that you were promiscuous to the point where you had several. That's why it's so important that Jesus hung out with sinners. The worst of the worst. So you have this woman that's sitting off in the distance. As we read the story, she's so overwhelmed by the presence of the holy God. And at times, I wonder what happened to that in the church. That we're so overwhelmed with the holy presence of God. That they were so overwhelmed with who were, in this particular moment, she was understanding that he was a rabbi, he was a religious leader, but she was literally seeing something different. And so Simon's not washing feet, so she goes up to Jesus, she's so overwhelmed with the presence of Jesus, the anointing that is in his life, she senses who he is, 
that she starts to weep and she starts to weep tears. Now she's also understanding that this should have been done by Simon. Somebody else should have washed the disciple, that, 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 that rabbi's feet. And then all of a sudden, and you go, well, what, what's the significance of the hair? The hair has huge significance. In this culture, they weren't allowed to wear their hair down. As a matter of fact, in some foreign cultures, it still has to be in a wrap and it has to be covered. But she was so outside the box, outside the norm. She didn't care what people thought. She just knew that there was Jesus and she had to get to him. What a moment that would be for us if we realized the presence of God was so strong in the place that we would do anything, even if it was indignant, to find Jesus right where he's at. And so with her hair, she starts to dry off the tears as she's wiping the, way, the dirt. And there's the moment where she breaks open the alabaster jar. Now we see this and the significance of this several different times. When Jesus was anointed in Bethany, it was, a, it was an alabaster jar that was broken again and the, 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 the anointing oil started from the top and worked its, uh, its all the way down. This is the story where the disciples got frustrated because it was worth about a year's salary what they were dumping on Jesus' head. And Jesus said, you're gonna have this with you all the time, but you only get to do this one time with me. And in this moment, it's not a head of anointing, it's the feet, it's a sign of submission. It's literally saying, you're special and I'm not. So she washes, she wipes away, she anoints. And in the midst of all this, Simon's sitting at the table and he's watching all this go on. And you wonder what's going through his mind because you never really capture what's going on inside the head of Simon. But you gotta be thinking, how dare this woman do all this stuff? And if you kind of read between the lines, which I think is important at times that we read between the lines, you almost get the sense that he's more worried about the form than he is the forgiveness that's about to happen. That he's more, in, it, it, the, the form of what we're doing. Simeon reminds me a lot of probably some of the average churchgoers. That they like the stuff, but they, they don't have the power of God in their lives. It's not that he was anti-Jesus, he just wasn't pro-Jesus. As a matter of fact, if you read the book of Revelation, it describes this kind of person or this kind of church as a lukewarm church. I said this a couple weeks ago, and I didn't say it in this service. But, but I think the church is at a pivotal point where we know the God stuff, we see the God stuff, but we keep lacking the power, we keep resisting the power, we, we, we don't embrace the power. And this is what I said in our second service, I said, the church has almost become impotent. It's almost to the point where, you know what that is, right? That's where you have the tools, but you don't have the passion. I think the church has the tools, but we lack the passion. I think we become Pharisees in certain respects. We've almost become Christian atheists, where we believe there's a God, but we don't believe that the power still exists in 2020, you know, 2020, 2021. And that's what's happening with Simon right here. He's watching him do all this stuff. He drives the feet. Simon's looking at it with a critical eye. And one of the things I wonder is, as Jesus is having this conversation, does Simon even realize the spiritual bankruptcy of his life? Listen to what happens in verse 40. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. Do you, 
I don't think this is what he thought he was going to say. I think he thought Jesus was going to say, you're doing a really good job. You're amazing. You're a Pharisee. You have a, you have a form of godliness. You are amazing, you know, like all that. And he goes, whoa, 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 hold on a second. He says, say it, teacher. A certain money letter had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which one, which one of them will love him more? And Simon answered, I got this one. The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. And then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water from my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, which is a sign of reverence. You gave me no kiss. It wasn't a romantic kiss. It was a sign of you are something special. You gave me no kiss. But from the time in she came, I ceased to kiss my feet. In verse 46, you did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with the ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven, little, loves little. There again, we don't know what he says at this point. There's not a conversation. As a matter of fact, we don't know Simon ever had another encounter. We, know, we never hear of him again. Thousands of years go by, and we, we, we don't know what happened to Simon. But I have a feeling he looked, and he was sitting there going, whoa, 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 what are you talking about? Like, like you're doing everything wrong. You're nothing by the book. You're letting people to the table that should never be at the table. If you read a little further down in verse 48, it says, this is how Jesus responded. Now think about what he's saying right here in verse 48. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this? Who even forgive, forgive sins. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. They knew that there's only one person that can forgive sins. And so they're once again, these Pharisees, these religious leaders are watching Jesus going, who does he think he is? See, everybody missed the point but the girl. Everybody else missed the point. And sometimes in our culture, I believe we miss the point. And the main point is this. We all need forgiveness. Everybody in this room, everybody watching online, everybody over at Sherwood, we all need forgiveness. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of God. We have missed the mark. But so many times we look at life, we look at people around us, kind of like Simon does, the, the Pharisees. And we judge each other. I, verse 47, I need to read this again. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, which are many. And one of the things that Jesus is not saying is to sin more so you have more forgiveness. He's using it as an illustration that this woman here has many sins and all of them are forgiven. He's not suggesting that we commit more. He's given Simon a hint about his need for his forgiveness, but Simon doesn't get it. Doesn't that sound like us? Instead, Simon makes the tragic mistake because he's grading himself on the curve. You know what that is? When you grade yourself on the curve, it's you say, I'm not as bad as that person and I'm not as good as this person. It's like this. You have Mary Poppins over here and you have Jack the Ripper over there. I'm not Jack the Ripper because I've never killed anybody, but I'm certainly not Mary Poppins over here, am I? So I'm right here in the center and I grade myself. I'm not as bad as that person. I'm not as good as that person, but I'm okay. That's what Simon is doing in this moment. He compared himself to all the others 
And he looks at the woman and goes, I'm glad. Remember we read this last week? I'm glad I'm not. It's the, the, tax, the story of the praying, the tax collector and the Pharisee. I'm glad I'm not that person. Simon is sitting at the table where God is inviting everybody in and he's going, I'm glad I'm not the woman because I'm not as bad as that. Grading himself on the curve. The attitude that he should have had would have been the same attitude that Peter has after the denial. Remember Peter after the denial? He's overwhelmed with the presence of God in his life. And this is what he says in Luke chapter 5, 8. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees and he said, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. That should have been Simon. Simon should have been bowing down just like this woman was, realizing how far she was from God. Can, can I throw something out? And some of you may get mad today and that's okay. You can send the emails to Gretchen. God, God doesn't grade on the curve. God, God, God doesn't grade you on the curve. He doesn't grade me on the curve. You don't score points by being better than the worst people. What a comparison. I'm not as bad as that. I'm not Jeffrey Dahmer. I don't eat people. I'm not as bad as this serial killer over here. What is... You need forgiveness just as much as everybody else. I, I need forgiveness just as much is everybody else. See, the big mistake we make is we think that grace is only given to the people who are the worst of the worst. I've done this before. We've done series on this. I almost got up here and read the Ten Commandments and go, okay, how many people have broke that one? How many people have lied today? A lot more hands need to be raised. <laughs> how many people lied, period? Ever, ever, ever. How many people have ever said a dirty word? How many people have looked at, not just this morning, how many people, how many people gestured something wrong on the way to church this morning to somebody? I just want to see what people do in this church because <laughs> this church is jacked up and we know it's jacked up, right? It, we're, we're all far from God. And if we keep grading ourselves on each other, we'll never attain the grace and understand the grace that, that we all have need. That's why Jesus went to the cross. Jesus went to the cross to do something for me that I couldn't do for myself. And neither could anybody else. Nobody else could do, take the place of my sin. It's like this. One of the things I think that happened with Simon is Simon was sick, but he didn't think he was that sick. Did you ever meet anybody that was sick that didn't realize they were that sick? So over the last couple months, I've literally had probably seven or eight conversations with people. Uh, I shared with some of you a couple weeks ago that one of my friends died. And I remember having a conversation with him. He goes, I, I got diagnosed, and this is not a pro anything, okay? It's not anti anything but he ended up having, getting COVID. And his wife was trying to get him to go to the hospital and he wouldn't go to the hospital. And he's this big, strong, burly guy. He lifts weights every day. He's a you know, fireman. I mean, he's a man's man. And I kept saying, don't try to be manly. This thing is not good. Like this thing is really bad. The people that have gotten sick, the sickest are really, really, really sick. And he goes, I'm fine. <laughs> Literally had a conversation with another guy this past week. And I said, don't try to man up on this thing. Don't try to be a stud. Go to the doctor. Do something. My, my, my first friend, he literally died because he waited too long. He was sick, but he didn't know how, how sick he was. And you know what sin does to us? Sin makes us sick. But sometimes we don't realize how sick we really are. We don't realize how depraved we are or how 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 how. How, how addicted we are or how, or how, how, how that, that thing has captured us and held us captive. 
See, a lot of us, I think, are sick, but that we don't realize how sick we are. And you know what I've realized? There is millions upon millions of people that walk on this planet that think they're basically good. And unfortunately, that's not how we get into heaven. See, this is what we say. It's the after all statement. Well, after all, I'm not this, right? So after all, I've never killed anybody. I'm hoping that nobody in this church has ever done that. Hey, hey, after all, I do my job. I do my job. After all, I I pay my bills. Like, oh, or or I I try to help. After after all, we'll not get us into heaven. Falling down on our face before a holy God and realizing how far we have, that's what gets us close to God. See, that was the difference between Simon and the woman. That's why the the woman did all these things because she realized her place, that she had need for a God. And it's only then when we recognize our own spiritual poverties that we can experience the riches of God in our lives. So that's the first thing. Here's the second thing. We all have a need, and Lindsay alluded to this, we all have a need to belong. Every one of us in this room wants to feel like we're part of something. And many of us want to feel like we're part of something bigger than us. That, that was what was interesting in the story as I was reading it. She's way over here, not even allowed to come to the table, but Jesus invited her to the table. Now, some of you guys will remember this. It's not too long for you. Some of you are still operating in this, but how many people re- remember the kitty table at Thanksgiving time or a major holiday? Raise your hand real high. Like the kitty table. It was almost jail. Right? You couldn't wait to graduate from the kitty table. Some of you adults are still at the kitty table because you haven't graduated yet. I'm going to tell you about the non-kitty table. So I was the oldest grandchild, and by the way, the favorite. <laughs> kind of like John says in the Gospel of John, John says, I am a follower of Jesus, and I am his favorite one. Well, I was the favorite grandson, oldest grandson. So I was the one that was allowed to leave the kitty table first. Now, now I don't know about you guys, but I had this misconception of the kitty table. I sat at the kitty table for about 15 or 16 years. I thought the food was different over the big boy table. I thought the turkey was, 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 was more tender. Like, we got dark meat at, the, at this table over here. They had the, the nice stuff. They had stuff that looked like, like it was pink, and it was like a, a salad. And we, 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 we would have, which I love, cranberry sauce. They would get the good stuff that comes, comes in a can. We get the stuff that was made fresh. At, at the kitty table, we, we got the sweet potato casserole that had marshmallows on it. They got the stuff that had the good pecans on the top and the crust. I had this in my mind, I had this idea that the kitty table, you were less of a human being because you sat at the kitty table. And then I got graduated, I, gra- I then graduated, I got the diploma, I had my little capping gown, and I graduated, I went over there, I'm going, look at me! I am not at... It's the same food that was over there. It's the same everything. As a matter of fact, some of the conversation was better at the kitty table. But, but you know what I realized? That there's no kitty table in God's kingdom. That, that if you just come to know Christ or if you're struggling with sin, if you don't even know Christ, he invites you to come to the big boy table. And that's what he did with this woman. He said, come on. Even labeled, even labeled a sinner. You're a sinner. Could you imagine that label? A sinner. Simon's going, you can't have her come to the table. She's a sinner. And Jesus said, well, come on to the table. 
Come, come, come on, come on, come on, eat with us, eat with us. Come sit at the table. Come on, there's a, there's a, come on, sit down. A couple years ago, I bought a, a weed eater. Everybody, who knows what a weed eater is? So in first service, they kept saying weed whacker. In the South, we call them weed eaters. So I bought a weed eater, and it was an expensive one. For me, it was an expensive, maybe not for you, but expensive one. Somebody walked up to me and said, my business, we buy a $1,000 one. Well, that's stupid. <laughs> so I, it was like $250 for a weed eater. So when I was living on, what was the road we lived on? Buxton Lane. So we were living on Buxton Lane, I would go out back, and I had to go all around the house weed eating, and man, it's good. Well, we moved up to Appling, and I have a little bit more weed eating until I got my new lawnmower. But, so I had rocks and ditches and so. One day, out of nowhere, I try to pull the handle and there's no tension on the handle so I can't start my weed eater and I am furious, okay? $250, it should last longer than a couple years, right? Okay, so I call, I call Home Depot where I bought it at. I say, hey, uh, what kind of warranty? A year, of course. Of course. I said, okay, well, I need a part. Can you order me a part? Um, they don't make parts for that. Ever? Ever. They don't make parts for it. So I called uh, Harry Saw Shop, and I called three or four other places around here, and I said, I need a part for this weed eater. And they said, well, what part is it? And I'm like, that's what I'm trying to hire you for. So I took the whole thing apart, and I realized there's a little small piece of plastic in there that holds everything together and I broke that when I was pulling it one day. The part, if the part was available, was $2.50, but they don't make the part. So guess what we have to do? We have to buy a brand new weed eater. And then all the attachments for the other weed eater, half of them work, half of them don't work now. So we're into it, I don't know. Gina makes all kinds of money, so I don't know, like three or $400, I don't know what it is. And then it dawned on me, literally just in the last month or so, how important that little $2.50 part was. That it stopped the machine. And I can't, I can't buy a $2.50 part. I can't even get one to get my weed eater to work anymore. So I have a weed eater in my garage right now that doesn't work. It's, it's beautiful. It's sitting in the rack where the weed eater is supposed to go. But it's unusable. And here's where it is. It's right. I think in the church... Somehow or another, the enemy is snuck in and told certain members of the body that they're not as important. And what I've learned is that $2.50 piece of plastic is just as important as the entire, you know, the wheat, the whole, the engine area. In the church, you get asked to come to the table. It's a level playing field. I love it. It was built level. You see, I love, that's how it is with Jesus. He is inviting you to the table with all your junk, with all my junk, with all the stuff, everything that I carry. He says, I want you to come to the table. I want you to come. You belong here. You, you have a gift. You have, you have an opportunity to use what God's given you. There's a lady in our church. I love her. Her name is Linda. And Linda came on, on, our, on uh, one of our partnership uh, classes, our on-ramps. And I remember she, she said this. She said, Bobby, I don't know that I have, I don't know I have any gifts and I was like, you have a gift. And she, I said, what do you like to do? She goes, I love to cook. And I said, I love to eat. I love to eat. Miss Linda literally started our breakfast club that feeds our team every Sunday morning. 
by just going, you know something? I don't know what else. I can't, I can't do anything else, but I can cook. What, what, what happens? What happens when one of us doesn't use our gifts? It doesn't work. If one person doesn't, I don't, I don't know if you guys know anything about singing. I'm not, you don't want me singing very loud, but these people up here are amazing. Somebody say amen to that. They're amazing. And Jason down here at the end, oh my goodness. I was like getting ready to go T.D. Jake's run an aisle. I mean like, I'm like, Whoa. but I said this this morning, I didn't know this, but I was like, if one person shows up late, it messes up everything. It messes up practice because everybody's singing parts. Well, I didn't know he showed up late this morning. So apparently I called him out in front of everybody. I did not mean to call him out in front of everybody. But great illustration though. If this person's not doing it, hey, children's ministry. If your children are back there right now, could you imagine your children in one of those rooms without anybody looking after them? No, no. Wednesday nights. Could you imagine your middle school kid? No. Hey, 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 hey. Could you imagine if the coffee people didn't show up this morning? Mutiny. That's how important every part is. Every part has a purpose. And every person is invited to the table. I love the way 1 Corinthians says it. It says, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. It's a great illustration because we understand if you stub your toe how hard it is to work or how hard it is to walk when you bang your toe on the bed as you're walking to go to the bathroom or whatever, or if you're missing you know, a, a use of a hand or whatever, you understand. So that's what is, and that's how it is with the body of Christ. If, if parts aren't being used, the rest of the body suffers. So this first installment today at the table, I want us all to understand, just as the lady came, she came because she needed forgiveness. And just as she came when when she came to the table, she found acceptance and a place. And I, I don't know what you what you brought here today. I don't know what you're going through if you're watching online or we're down at show. I don't, I, I don't know, but you do. And maybe for some, you've never realized that you could even come to God. And I'm telling you today, you can come to God. I love what Justin said up front, that we get to have conversation. We get to spend time with God and he answers he answers us. I want you to do me a favor real fast. We're going to pray and close, but I want you to, I want you to shut your eyes for a second. I, I don't know what you brought today. I don't know how heavy that burden is. I don't know what it looks like for you. I don't know how hurt you are. Maybe you don't feel like you're part of anything. And I want you to know today, I'm inviting you to be a part of something. Something that's bigger than you. Something that's bigger than me. For some in this room, watching online, down on our Sherwood campus, maybe you've never made that first initial move toward God. 
He's inviting you to the table right now. He's offering you forgiveness from everything, everything that's ever happened, everything that's ever been done. He's offering you forgiveness right now. He doesn't have to, you, there's no more label. You don't have a label anymore. The, 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 the only thing that, that he sees is forgiven now. You're forgiven. And for others, maybe it's just a belonging. You have a long to belong that you've never found your place. And I want you to know that you're invited to the table. We want to help you today figure that out. We want to help you find out your place. Heavenly Father, it's in this moment right here that God, so many are having conversations. There's so many different conversations happening. Some of the conversations are about making you number one and maybe getting past the stereotype or the label that you've been given. Some of us in this room have become like Simon in a certain respect. We become, we become like Pharisees. We've, we've lacked the power in our lives. And today we want that power. We want you to move in our lives and others in this place. And God, you can see it on people's faces all the time. That they just There's so many longing to belong. And in a, a time period in our history of the world where it seems like we have become more isolated, it's rising a bigger need to be in community. And I, pr- I pray, God, that people would realize that the community they can be, they can be part of God's family. And that they're important. God, I pray for the rest of this series, the next several weeks, God, that you would, you would continue to speak to us as next week we talk about just the DNA of a godly family, what a godly family looks like. And then we talk about how to raise kids and what seems to be almost an anti-Christian culture in the world we live in. And God, as we look at marriages and how we can honor you with our marriage and how we can come to the table. And at the table, God, there's restoration and peace and direction. God, I pray for all these things. But most of all, I pray that you would be honored in everything that's said and done. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Thanks again for listening today. If you need prayer or would like to talk with someone about taking your next step, email us at nextsteps at journeycommunity.net.